All right, good morning. Let's open our Bibles this morning to uh, Matthew's Gospel. We're going to finish up chapter 24 this morning. We've been taking our time going through this chapter and, and getting understanding and because an understanding of Matthew 24 is critical for end time understanding of, here's a word for you, eschatology, the study of last things. And, and so for us to understand that, we, we have to take some time going through these uh, passages. And this is the longest uh, prophetic discourse that Jesus had ever given. And it's given it uh, to us here. And it really uh, matches up with everything else in the Bible, and go figure, you know, Jesus is God, he, he wrote the scriptures, he inspired the scriptures, so it's no surprise that when he shares with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, that's why they call this the Olivet Discourse, these two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus gave this to his disciples just to the east of the Temple Mount that you see today with a dome of the rock on it. And there's a valley, the Kidron Valley, right to the east. And then there's another mountain right next to it called the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus um, is going to be spending his, an evening with his disciples before he'd be wrongfully arrested. But it's also here at this time, the day prior, on Wednesday, literally the uh, uh, the 12th of Nisan and April 1st in 33 AD. We know the time and the day when this occurred. And Jesus is there sharing this with them. And we've already looked at the first, uh, really the first 31 verses of Matthew 24, which really speak of times that are yet future to us. Times we call the Great Tribulation Period. A time where... The church must be removed prior to this, to this great tribulation period, this time known as Daniel's 70th week. The church must be removed prior to this, and we spent quite a bit of time looking at that. And if you're new this morning, review some of the recordings or the videos online, and you can see and review that and understand that, because it's really critical that you understand that the church is not going to be here during this time that Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 24 and 25. In fact, he, in, 24, in, 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 in chapter 24, he's giving us the, what's going to be happening during this great tribulation period, this time of God's wrath being poured out on a world that has rejected his only means of salvation, Jesus. Are you in Jesus this morning? Are you a believer in Christ? Because if you're a member of the church, the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that we will be taken, we will be translated. The Bible calls it the rapture of the church. And that doctrine is very well substantiated, very well founded in the scripture. Paul taught it, Jesus taught it. And so the church must be removed. And then once we are with him in the, in the heaven, in heaven, God will then pour out his wrath on a world that has rejected his son. And God will also be uh, uh, ministering to national Israel, the Jewish people, once again. And he will be faithful to the promises that he has made to them from hundreds of years prior, even to the time when he was walking the earth. 
prophecies that were written hundreds of years prior, he will fulfill those promises to his people at that time. And also, at the end of that seven-year period, Jesus said, unless he came back physically to the earth in his second coming, unless he came back, no flesh would survive it. And we will be coming back with him in our new glorified bodies. Aren't you looking forward to a glorified body? I looked in the mirror this morning. I'm like, man, you are really, let's just be honest, ugly. Right? I mean, it was before I shaved and I looked like the devil, you know. But anyway, but the thing is, he will come back and return and, and end that tribulation period. And we will come back with him. And he will establish his millennial reign, his kingdom on this earth, on this earth for a thousand years. And, and there's more to that, but I'm just going to leave it there, okay? For a thousand years. It gets better after the thousand years, don't worry. New heavens, new earth, eternity, okay? We're good. But for a thousand years, you and I will rule and reign with him. And we'll be completely different. We'll have the same body that Jesus had. When he rose from the dead on the third day, that same body you and I will receive at the rapture of the church. Isn't that what Paul told the Thessalonians? He says, the dead in Christ, when we hear that trump of God and uh, right prior at the rapture, we're going to hear that sound. And, and I believe it's going to be a sound that only we are going to hear. And then all the, it says, the dead in Christ, those who have died believing in Jesus, will be raised. They will receive a, a body that's incorruptible. And don't worry if your ashes have been spread on the sea. God doesn't have a problem with reconstructing you if he needs to at all. He's going to resurrect you and you will be resurrected and you will have a new body. But the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. The word is harpazo. In the Latin it's rapio. That's where we get the word rapture from. We will be caught up and taken and we will be with him Forever we will be with the Lord. We'll never be parted from him ever again. So these things are important. But Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, doesn't mention anything about this entity called the church. We are going to be raptured. We are going to be with the Lord. But there is a Jewish remnant that's going to go through, and certainly a world of Gentiles as well, that is going to go through the crucible. And God is going to preserve his, uh, a remnant of his Jews, of the Jewish people, and they will pro uh, prophesy and they will um, evangelize during that time. And it's going to be a, a horrible time. That is the time that Jesus is referring to in Matthew 24. Those times, the, the events leading up to Christ's second coming. And if you notice with me in verse 24, or chapter 24, um, after the great tribulation, uh, notice in verse 29, and then it tells about him coming back to the earth. And so it's all laid out there for us if we will see it. And these things are yet future to us. I don't know if you know this, but if you hold to these truths that I'm sharing with you, do you know what you're called? You're called a futurist, not a preterist. You're called a futurist. There are those who believe, and I don't, I don't understand this, there are those who believe that these events happened in the first century and really culminated around the invasion of 
Titus and Rome against Jerusalem in 70 AD, there are those who believe that all of this, including the second coming of Christ, happened at that time. But there's a lot of problems with that because I don't see Jesus. So you have to spiritualize and avoid a lot of very clear doctrine to come to those kind of conclusions. So we, Calvary Chapel people, and not only us, but many people throughout history, read the Bible literally and take it for what it is. If it's an allegory, it'll be clear that it's an allegory. If it's a metaphor, it'll be clear that it's a metaphor. You know, the Lord hides us under the shadow of his wings. We know that's a metaphor. But take the Bible literally unless there is an implied metaphor or unless there is a parable that's trying to demonstrate some truth. Does that make sense? Take the Bible literally. If you do, it'll save you from a lot of doctrinal error. It'll save you from a lot of confusion. And I don't know about you, but I think there's enough confusion in the world and even in the church. So we're going to be looking at this. And uh, this is a chart that I've been putting up for some time. And uh, this is where we're at in the Passion Week. We're right in the middle on Wednesday where Jesus is giving this discourse to his disciples, specifically to four of them. Do you remember their names? Right? Peter, James, and Andrew, and John. Two sets of brothers. I like that. And he's giving this to them. And this morning we're going to, Lord willing, uh, we, we have to finish this uh, uh, today. But we, we began looking at the parables. Um, and there are five actually, uh, five parables uh, in the balance of Matthew 24 uh, illuminating what Jesus had already taught his disciples in verses 4 through 31 concerning the tribulation and his second coming. We looked, remember, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at this parable of the fig tree and uh, the days of Noah and the comparison of two men and women, the, the faithful householder, and then the fifth parable, the wise servant. And what I'd like to do this morning is quickly review those to get us set into the finish of this because I think the context of it is very important. Remember, we, it says, uh, let's look at verse 32, and we're going to go through this relatively quickly, hopefully. He, Jesus says, now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, there are many people that have tried to uh, equate this fig tree to Israel, and it, it, it can fit, but Jesus is not talking about Israel in the sense of, uh, you know, um, you know, because it tells us there that, uh, so that when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very doors. What things? All those things that he had been telling them in the prior verses, the things of the tribulation, the things of his second coming, those things. But it's not speaking of, you know, that, that generation that was at that time. And some people have uh, believed that this was Israel and somehow uh, with the advent of Israel coming into the land in May 14th, 1948, that somehow this generation that Jesus, you know, it does mention it here, but they misconstrue it. Um, some people believe that from that moment that the Jewish nation became a nation again, that within a generation that Christ would return. But 75 years have passed, and behold, he is not returned. And so this is not speaking of Israel and equating the fig tree. It's speaking of very something, something very simple. And the idea is that... Um, just as the, uh, the nearness of Israel 
or I'm sorry, the nearness from when the fig tree puts forth its leaves, you know that in summer is when the fig tree is going to blossom, right? Jesus is saying that when these things, the things that he's already been speaking of in verses 4 through 31, when they occur, it's going to be like that fig tree because the fig tree, when it puts forth its, its, its leaves, you know that the fruit is coming next in summer. And so there's a progression. It's going to happen just as the fig tree going through its cycle. These things that Jesus is speaking of will ultimately culminate in his second coming. That's what it's about. It has nothing to do with the Israel being the fig tree. It can be a fig, you know, Israel can be a metaphor for Israel, but that's not the context here. It's very important to, to know that. And so, and Jesus was giving a parable relating things that are familiar and knowable to things that are not known or a mystery. And so, we have to be careful that we don't spiritualize and take passages in the Bible out of context. Context is important. When we do this, we forget, or we get ourselves, like I said before, into a lot of trouble. And um, so take the Bible literally, okay? So verse 33, it says, So you also, speaking to the Jews that Jesus is referring to, So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very doors, or literally he, he is at the doors. And assuredly, verse 34, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass till all these things take place. And we remember last time we were together, we looked at this word generation, and um, it means a, uh, a whole multitude of men living at the same time. It could, it could mean an age. And you remember that when we looked at uh, Matthew 23, the very last time we saw this word it was in Matthew 23, 36, this word generation. And Jesus, remember, at that time was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And he was taking them to account. And, um, and he was speaking about the coming of Rome and, and the destruction and the things that were going to come upon Jerusalem. And he said that upon, uh, I say unto you, all these things will come upon this generation. And he was speaking to these men who should have known the truth. They didn't know the truth. They didn't want to know the truth. The very truth was embodied before them and they, re- they rejected him. They ignored him. He said, all of these things that I spoke about, the, the, the coming judgment, it's going to happen in this generation. You guys are going to see it. So we understand in context that that's what he was talking about. So um, in verse 36, what generation was he speaking of? Well, the, 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 the one that was uh, going to witness the destruction of 70 AD. The grammar, the context, give away the answer. We read things in context. You don't have to spiritualize and make them say something else. But what about here in verse 34? What does this word generation mean? Does it mean the generation of the four disciples that were there at the time in 33 AD listening to Jesus? Or the generation those living in the times that Jesus is referring to in the tribulation? Which is it? Of course, it's, he's speaking of the generation of that time in the tribulation at the end. If you read it in context, it makes sense. So don't go look for any other sense. That's what he's speaking of. And all these things, it says in verse 34, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation that's living at that time will by no means pass away till all these things take place. They will see it themselves, and it'll culminate in the uh, second coming of Christ. And... Um, 
We need also need to remember that these last five parables in Matthew 24 are there to, again, reinforce what Jesus had already talked about. And these parables are given to show at least the following things. And that is, number one, how close the second coming is to the events of the Great Tribulation. And secondly, at the very least, an exhortation to watchfulness. We're going to see this later on in the parables and, and the rest of this chapter about preparedness and faithful service of those Jews and those who are uh, saved during that time right before Christ comes to the earth. So verse 35, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And we looked at some verses in Isaiah and Second Peter and Revelation speaking of a time yet future that heaven and earth will pass away. Did you know that? This heaven that we have in, around us this, and this earth that we currently are living on, the Bible says that at one time, at the end of the uh, thousand-year reign, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And uh, Isaiah says it in Isaiah 65, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Pretty clear, isn't it? Peter even said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Speaking of the second coming of Christ. It's going to happen because people aren't going to be prepared. It's going to be like a thief in the night to them. But notice what Peter goes on and he says. He says, the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That's where we get that phrase, it's all going to burn. <laughs> it's all going to burn. Yes, I'm sorry, you know, that fancy car that you got and that house on the lake, it's, you know, after you're raptured, you know, and at the end, it's all going to burn, folks. And all you're going to have is Christ. Amen. And let me ask you, is that enough? <laughs> it's enough for me. You know, there's a, there's a song we sing, you know, you can have all the world, but give me Jesus. And you know what? The longer I live on this earth and the, the older I get in the Lord, the more I long for that day. There, there's nothing that I care about more, honestly. I could care less about anything else. I just want to see him face to face and I want to be in his presence because he is the good shepherd and he is going to take care of us, folks. And you know what? You've got nothing to fear. You've got nothing to fear. Jesus has it all under control. Yes, even in this madness that we're living in right now. Even in the madness that's just trying your souls. And I know it. Because it's trying me too. It makes no sense. It's, idiot. it's, it's, idi it's, it's uh, idiotic. It makes no sense. Law and order are out the window. Well, are we living in the times of Isaiah, he prophesied, and he says, the days are coming when they will call what is good evil and what is evil good. We're right in the center of that right now, folks. All you have to do is watch the news and pay attention. We are there. Do you see it? And see, this is why this is so important. We have to understand these events. And it ought to, and hopefully it will, encourage us to be ambassadors of Christ. To be ambassadors. Jesus' words will not pass away. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you in Matthew 5, verse 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. 
Peter says in his epistle in chapter 1, verse 23, having that uh, the word of God which lives and abides forever because, and here he quotes Isaiah, he says, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower also falls away, but the word of God endures forever. His word endures forever. This endures forever. Everything else, not so much. But God is going to make sure that everything that's spoken in here. And he's been faithful so far. Has he been lying to us? Has he ever lied? He's never lied to me. Everything that has come to pass already, you look back at it now as you read through the scripture. Like, wow, it's just exactly as you said. Well, duh. It's supposed to be read. And it's supposed to be read literally. He didn't make, you know... You don't have to go through all kinds of, you know, spiritualizing things and twisting things. Well, I think what it, when it says blue, I think it means something else. No, blue, it's, it's blue. Just get over it. Stop trying to twist everything and make it some spiritual thing. It doesn't need any help. We got into the second parable, speaking of the days of Noah. And it says, but of that day, verse 36, the... Uh, of that day and hour, no, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And this is because, uh, this is true, because right now we don't know when the second coming is going to happen. And we certainly don't know when the rapture is going to precede that. We don't know the day of the rapture, and we certainly don't know the, the day of the second coming. And even people during the tribulation, they won't know the exact day or the exact hour. They'll know in generalities, but they won't have it all together. And remember, we looked at the days of Noah. He says, but as for the days of Noah, as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So we looked at the the days of Noah and how corrupt they were. And we looked at the Nephilim. And we looked at all of these strange, dark things in the Scripture, which we're not going to go over today. But the world was completely corrupt before the flood. And God done away with it. He judged everybody except for those animals and those eight souls that were on board the ark. Do you remember that? Before the flood. And verse 38, and as for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark. For years, Noah had been preaching of the judgment that was coming, and no one paid attention. It was just keep the status quo, live as you are. And let me tell you something, folks, as it was back in that time, it is the same now. Because even before the rapture of the church, We're seeing these kinds of things. People are just like, oh, I don't believe it. I'm just going to live my life and do whatever I want. I'm going to follow my flesh and get out of my way or I'll run you over. Right? And that's the the attitude of the world today. And that's unfortunate because once the church is removed, this world is going to be completely a different place. The light, for the most part, will have been extinguished. For the most part. There's a lot there. But in verse 39, And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. And so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, and we live in those times too. In 2 Timothy, it tells us, Paul exhorts uh, Timothy, his protege, he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Uh, out of season. Convince and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come. When they will not endure sound doctrine. Are we living in a time where people aren't enduring sound doctrine? I think we are. 
but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Amazing to me how many YouTube pastors are teaching the things that they're teaching that are just horrible. I remember around the time of the football, I actually saw the video of this, and I was heartbroken. Maybe you saw it too. Um, you didn't see it on the, your mainstream media. But then again, maybe some of you did because they like to make fun of us. But there was, there was a church, and they were celebrating uh, the Super Bowl on Sunday morning. Instead of getting into the Word of God, they were celebrating the Super Bowl. And then somebody held up a Bible on his foot like that, and a woman came, and she kicked the Bible. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the kind of nonsense that's happening in the church. Folks, the church in America is in great trouble. Not you, necessarily, right? Now, I'm not mentioning you, but the, in totality, as a, as a group in this country, the church would rather build themselves monuments and they would rather make them feel fat and happy rather than getting out and doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that is to tell people, to warn them, not only of judgment to come, but also of salvation they can have and they can bypass that judgment. That's what we were called to do. We weren't here to have Super Bowl parties in church. I mean, you have a Super Bowl party at your house. There's nothing wrong with that. Especially if the Cowboys are playing. I'm a Cowboys fan, sorry. But you know what? we got to get back to the basics. But in the days before Noah, that was happening. Oh, no big deal. We don't believe any of this stuff. Until the flood came and took them all away. The fossil layers show this to be true. There's fossils on the top of the highest mountains in this world. Sea fossils and fossils of graveyards of people and animals. America right now is in trouble and the church is in trouble. So I would say repent, America, and repent, church. I'm not speaking directly to you perhaps but this message goes out beyond these doors and anyone who's listening who is a part of the church we need to repent we need to stop doing the foolish stupid things that we've been doing and we need to look at ourselves again and look to Christ and say Lord forgive me I've been playing a game all my life. I've been thinking that I'm good with you because I give a lot of money to the church. Hey, listen, the Lord could care less about how much money. He'd rather have your soul. He would rather have a heart that is separated unto him, wholly devoted to him, rather than you giving a million-dollar check. By all means, give the million. I'm just kidding. But he's more, he's more concerned about your heart. And about your life, where are you going to spend? He didn't create you so that you could spend an eternity separated from him. He created you because he loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. Do you have that same feeling? I do. 
Because no one created me except for him. As he said to David in the Psalms, curiously, I was wrought in in the center of the earth. In my mother's womb, you, you formed my bones and my ligaments, and you brought it all together, Lord. When I was hidden and nothing was fashioned yet, you had a plan for my life. He would tell Jeremiah, before you were even in the womb, Jeremiah, I had a plan for you. And let me tell you, folks, he's got a great, wonderful plan for you. He's got a great plan for you, and it's your great joy and pleasure to find out what it is. And here's the kicker. Here's the the easy thing you can start with. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our marching commandment. Start there. And you can do that in a multitude of ways. But that's what we need to be doing. We can't be playing games and kicking a Bible. And, and, a, and they were all dressed up as, uh, you know, they had the jerseys on, and the whole theme on the stage. I'm like, what is this, VBS? Is that, is that, you know, let's be about our father's business. But the Noah's day was a worldwide judgment, and so it will be a worldwide judgment when Christ comes back. It'll be a judgment upon the world. He's going to judge the world. When he came the first time in his first advent, he came as the meek, mild baby Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when he comes back... At the end of that great tribulation period in his second coming, uh, no more meek and mild lamb. We're talking about a lion who's ticked. And he is going to bring judgment. The great God, Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Because if you know him, you'll never see that wrath. But can you imagine the wrath of Almighty God? You can read Revelation 20. In Revelation 19, the things that are coming. Verse 40, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women, verse 41, will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and the other left. Again, this sounds very similar to the rapture, but it is completely different. This word taken, remember, means to be taken into judgment. Even in the parables of Jesus, um, when he was speaking uh, concerning the wheat and the tares in the parable of the dragnet, notice in Matthew 13, it says this, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, Matthew 13, 36, And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. He's he's defining these terms for us. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will also be at the end of this age. Isn't that what he's speaking of in Matthew 24 right now? Isn't that what he's speaking of? The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Two will be at the mill, one taken. The one who is taken is the one who is taken in judgment when Christ returns. 
In the parable of the dragnet, again, Matthew 13, 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good in vessels, but they threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So the context is clear that those who were taken away were the ones who were destroyed. And yet the Bible says that he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. Remember that. God doesn't have some great joy in in turning his wrath and destroying those who have rejected him. It's quite the opposite. It breaks his heart. But see, you and I, we make that choice. And people have made the choice. I will not let this man rule over me. Well, what's so bad about having him rule over you? He wants to bless your life. He wants your life to, to be a, a blessing. And if you follow him, your life will be a blessing. Why would you want anything else? Honestly. You're going to find that, that satisfaction, that solace at the bottom of a bottle of Jim Beam or Jack Daniels? Are you going to find the solace in, a, in, a, in an extramarital affair? Are you going to find that solace at the end of a needle that you're injecting in your arm? Are you going to find it there? You're not going to find anything but heartache and pain. And then when you wake up the next morning, you're going to be horrified of what you've done. If you survive. How important then is it? The comparison with the flood of Noah is given as an example that the context is indeed judgment. Now we get into the fourth parable. He says, watch therefore, verse 42, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. At that time, they are not going to know the hour. They're not going to know the hour. But they're going to know the general frame, the general time frame. It's probably going to be within the next week. Those people going through, those Jews especially going through the tribulation as they open up the scriptures and they began reading. They're going to be looking at this. And they can. They can literally watch it and go, well, that's what's coming. That's what's coming next. And then this is what's going to happen next. And then can you imagine the excitement when they are told to go to the rock city of Petra to hide from the Antichrist as he's going to chase them down like a hunted gazelle. And he's going to try and slaughter them the remnant, the faithful in Israel. And they will hide in Basra, in Petra, modern-day Jordan. And Jesus is going to preserve them. And then he's going to come back and he's going to knock some heads. And his robe is going to be dipped in blood because there's going to be a great slaughter. And if that makes any of you feel uncomfortable, you really need to get over it. Because here, here, here's the situation He loves intensely, and he has saved you. If you're a believer, he has saved you, and he saved me. But just as fierce and as deep as his love is, so is the fierceness of his wrath. You do not want to be on the receiving end of God's wrath. In fact, the Bible tells us, for God has not appointed us to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. He has not appointed us, the church, to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father poured out his wrath on his Son when he placed all of the sin of mankind on him, and he judged it once and for all on the cross. 
There's no need for, for us to be beaten up and to, for somehow for us, the church, to prove to God that we're, we really mean it, Lord. And we'll do whatever we got, you know, break our legs and cause us to go through it. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to whip yourself. You've been cleansed. You've been born again. Yes, she may have problems and struggles and issues of sin. Yes, we all do. But hopefully as time goes on, we're giving more of our heart to him and those things are just falling off the back of the wagon, so to speak. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour the Lord your, the, your Lord is coming. Again, speaking of those people at the end of the tribulation but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Again, sounds rapturesque, but the rapture of the church is going to happen in a twinkling of an eye. It's going to be all of a sudden. It will come without warning for those of us in the church age, uh, which are living right now. But Jesus' second coming is going to be like a thief in the night to those people living at that time. And it's going to happen because they will be unprepared and they will be unconcerned. As in the days of Noah, they're just going to be like living their life. Could care less. These crazy nut jobs, these Christians, are telling me that there's going to be a rapture and there's going to be a, a time of, you know, uh, of upheaval and there's going to be an antichrist on the earth. Oh, hum. Right? And then it happens. Therefore, be also ready, verse 44, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And when he says the word you there, therefore you also be ready. Speaking of the Jewish remnant, and again, the repetition of what Jesus already spoke in verse 42. Now, this parable in verses 42 through 44 is definitely speaking of that second coming and how unbelievers will be completely unprepared. That's what it means. But in order for us, the church today, to draw some kind of application out of that for us today, this is what we need to do. We need, we need to think about, take a hold of this ourselves as we wait for his return. Our expectation is the rapture of the church. There's nothing else that needs to be fulfilled. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. It's, it's, it's literally saying to us what he had told us in 1 Thessalonians verse four or chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. He's, re, he's telling us again. And if we believe these things, then we ought to purify ourselves, as it tells us in 1 John. He who, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. We've been purified by the blood but practically, every single day, we have a decision to make. I can either wallow around in the pig slop and continue drinking and smoking pot, and I can, I, can, I can continue taking drugs and having illicit relationships. I can continue rolling around in that muck. Or I can say, Lord, I'm finished with this life. It's done me no good anyway. It's made empty promises. I've never found any real peace anyway. I'm broke, confused. 
Let us now live in expectancy of his return for us at the rapture. Let's live in that. And what did he tell, uh, and keep a light touch on the things of the world. What did he say to Timothy? You therefore, Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, because no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. We need to follow the orders of our captain, Jesus Christ. Right? I like what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13. Paul speaking, he says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, he says, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but when... But then I shall know just as also as I am known. And see, with this hope that we have, knowing that the rapture could come in at any moment, am I living a life that reflects that? Or have I thrown up my hands like Peter after Jesus' crucifixion? And, and then finally Peter just gets so frustrated and he goes, I'm going fishing. I don't know what's happened to Jesus. I don't know what else to do. But i got to make a living now. I don't know what to do and... And certainly, there's nothing wrong with going fishing, folks. Or any other hobby that we might have. But has our hobby taken over our life? As we consider this great thing, that we, the, 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 this meeting with Christ in the air, is there anything in your life, any hobby that's so important to you that you're spending more time with that rather than coming to church on a midweek service or coming to a prayer meeting or helping a brother or sister in Christ who's, who needs some, a little bit of help doing something in their house? Are we so caught up in our hobbies that we could care less? Because if we're living with that expectancy, we're not going to let those things overtake and dominate. You know, I have guns. And I have guitars, and those are my hobbies. I love those things, but I have to get, I have to, they, they have to get my leftovers and not the first fruits of my time and energy. Is our mind on the kingdom, or is it on something else? So let me tell you a secret. is this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Make the kingdom of God your first desire and God will bless you with time and enjoyment in those other pursuits as well. Does that make sense? I'm learning that. I've had my time where I spent more time on my hobbies rather than on, on, on what I really should be doing. And, and it just didn't really satisfy. But one thing that happened is once I started to turn that around and I spend more of my focus on the kingdom of God, and then God gives me these little periods of time where I can really enjoy those things. And I really do enjoy them. And he's like, Rob, it's okay. You can enjoy it. Because you've been working hard at these other things. 
I'm not some cruel master where I'm just going to withhold your golfing and withhold your, you know, getting under the hood of a car and changing out the pistons and the gaskets. He goes, that's what you love to do. I'm not going to take that away from you, but make sure you get the balance right. Because if you're like me as a man, I don't know if you, ladies, I don't know if you know this about men, but we have a tendency to dive in. (laughs) And you don't see us for hours. Where did he go? He's doing his hobby. I haven't seen him for days. Where's he at? He's doing his hobby. He doesn't speak to me anymore. He doesn't pray with me anymore. Where's he at? He's doing his hobby. The fifth parable, the wise servant. Who then, verse 45, is that faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes... We'll find so doing. Notice, master, when he comes, his master, when he comes, who is that speaking of? Jesus, when he comes. Again, important to notice the time frame that Jesus is speaking. He's speaking at his, the time of his, at the end of the great tribulation period for the Jews at that time, right prior to the coming of the Lord from heaven. Assuredly, verse 47, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. Those who come to faith in Christ during the tribulation, he's basically saying you need to be watchful servants and to be faithful and wise right to the end. Faithful and wise to the end. And we're going to see as we get into Matthew 25 next week that at the beginning of the millennium, there's going to be rewards for faithfulness. For those Jews and Gentile believers who endure the tribulation, we read that in Matthew 25, it says that the Lord will say to them, say to him at that time, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's entrance into the millennium, the kingdom of God here on earth, in Jerusalem, on this earth for a thousand years. So if anybody tells you, well, the, the climate is falling apart. It's the most, it's the most ex- existential threat of our time. Don't listen to that nonsense. Seriously. The world's going to be around for at least another thousand and seven years from this moment. If the Lord comes and grabs us today, there's going to be at least a thousand and seven years on this planet. And the sun is still going to be shining. Are you worried about the glaciers? <laughs> Then why are all the why are all the globalists um, having these houses by you know on Martha's Vineyard and on the seashore? Oh, we're really worried about the climate. It's going to rise. It's going to rise. We're going to die. Hypocrites, play actors. Don't listen to them. Listen to God. Amen. <laughs> Maybe I should tell you how I really feel. I don't know. I believe I'm right on. Because this stuff is nuts that we're listening to. Don't listen to any of it. As much so-called science that's telling you that the the global warming and that the world is this existential threat, even more than nuclear war. It's a bunch of nonsense, folks. There are many other scientists going, there's no problem. What is your problem? You're not actually looking at the science. For heaven's sake, look at the science. And it will tell a a different tale than the lies you're being fed through the media today. 
You can think what you want, but I believe that to be true, and I know it is. Verse 48, but, and if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. And and this was the prevailing attitude, remember, uh, and the heart condition of Israel and the religious leaders when Christ was walking among them. This is exactly the kind of heart attitude that they had. And the religious leaders were not good stewards either, either of what God had given them. They had rejected Christ. And now Christ had rejected them, at least for a season. He's not going to reject Israel altogether. He allowed them to go through a whole horrible thing. He allowed their temple in 70 AD to be destroyed. He allowed Nazi Germany and this demon-inspired man called Adolf Hitler, you know, uh, killing over 6 million Jews in the 40s, 1940s. God allowed that. But he hasn't given up on Israel. And he's going to restore them. And ultimately, Paul tells us in Romans 9, chapters 9 through 11, that one day, and we know that that day is at the end of that tribulation period, the people that he is talking to right now in this scripture, all Israel will be saved. They will look upon him whom they have pierced, and it's going to be a national outcry. It's going to be a national repentance. Paul says all Israel will be saved at that time. And the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of. And unbelief uh, will cause the heart to not be watchful. And unbelief will also allow a heart to be completely unprepared. If you don't believe that we're going to have, if if the uh, meteorologist comes across the news and says, hey, we're going to have an ice storm and you better stock up on water and other things. And you're like, "I I don't really care about, I don't believe it. Right? And then it happens. And then you don't have the necessary things. You're unprepared. Now granted, they, they haven't been spot on all the time. But this is not meteorology. This is the word of God. This is more important and more sure than anything else that you will ever hear with your hearing ears. It's more important because God said it. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. And it should be that way for you, Christian. Don't let anybody take the word of God from you by some fancy PhD from Harvard. Hey, listen, I don't have a problem with education, but if, there, if your education is pointing to me and saying your God is not true, I'm saying, well, let God be true and every man a liar. I don't care how many degrees you've got behind your name. I've been to college too. And unfortunately... For me, it did very little. Yeah, I said it. Just being honest. College for me brought me to where God wanted me to be so that he could use my life more fruitfully. That's all college was, was a stepping stone in my life to get me to Rochester. I had no idea I was being led at all. But I see that now. It was just a stepping stone. It was just a means to an end. And God says, you're going to learn some things along the way, but really what I want to do is I want to, I want to get you up here because I want you to do this and I want you to do that. But how you view the future will ultimately determine your behavior in the present. There is, and this is one of the reasons why biblical doctrine is so important. That's why we spend so much time on it. This, and this is not only true for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. 
Because even though the context here in this parable is the Jewish nation at the beginning or of the, of the millennium or at the end of the tribulation, it's kind of, that period is kind of ambiguous there. As, as the church living here and now, we should also live lives faithful to the service of God as well. There's something that we can take away from this even though the context is speaking of that time for the Jews at that time, we need to be fostering that same attitude as well. Because the universal commandment stands true of any age and any person, and that is this, for everyone to whom much is given, for him much will be required. And to him who much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. And that's the way the Lord holds us accountable, doesn't he? In a loving way. He's like, I've given you this truth in earthen vessels. Use it for my glory and tell people of my love for them. Yes, warn them as well. And listen, never take the teeth. I've said this before. Never take the teeth out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone can say, hey, God loves you, man. He really loves you. He saved your soul. That's, the, that's not the teeth of the gospel. The teeth of the gospel is that you're a sinner going on your way to hell. What? You can't tell me that. I, I, I did. Because that's what Jesus said. We've condemned all under sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? So that's the teeth. You have to give them the bad news before you give them the good news. Hey, you're, you're living a life of sin, man. You're sleeping around, you're smoking this, and you're doing this, and you're cheating, and you're stealing, and and if you don't repent of that, you're going to go straight to hell. Did he say the word hell? That's a word you don't hear too often in churches today. If you go to a church, or you know of somebody who goes to a church, and they're not talking about hell, encourage them to leave that church. Because hell is what brought me into the kingdom of God. (laughs) Somebody preached to me hell. It's the teeth of the gospel. I need the teeth. Because if I don't think I'm sick, I'm not going to need a savior. I'm not going to need a physician if I think I'm fine. But listen, I'm not fine. So who can save me? Who can heal me? Well, Jesus is the healer. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's also the savior of the world. Put your trust solely in him and no man No system other than Christ himself. Notice in verse 51, and he will cut him in two, this this person. Let's see, 50, um, we're getting close to the end here. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Does that sound like the church to you? No, it has nothing to do with the church at all. It's speaking of those at the end right before Christ comes. And the importance of being prepared and having a heart with a right attitude of service to God. And see, that obviously can affect us today because that's the heart we should have anyway. But especially for those Jews at the end, they need to have that. And, And Gentiles too, but predominantly Jews. They need to have that same heart attitude. Otherwise, God is going to cut him in two. This word only occurs in two places in the, in the New Testament. Here and also in, um, uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 46. It only occurs time. And it literally means cut in two. So I'll just leave it there. That's what the Greek says. I'm going to leave it alone. 
and there shall be weeping and gnashing of, t- of teeth. Now, there are going to be judgments around, around the second coming of Christ. Do you understand how this can be a little strange? Because at the end of the tribulation is also sort of like the beginning of the millennium. So around that area right there, there's going to be some judgments. The first one we can see, uh, at least two. There's more, I'm sure, uh, and there may be more, actually. But at the very least, we're gonna, we know this from the scripture very clearly that the Antichrist and his armies at the second coming in the battle of Armageddon, there's going to be a judgment. It's going to be a bloodbath. And then the judgment in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, which we're going to look at uh, in the next couple weeks, called the judgment of the nations, or some have known it, known it, excuse me, some know it as the sheep and goats judgment at the beginning of the millennium. These are judgments. And those who are not believers will be cast into outer darkness or they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, that doesn't make the Lord happy. It breaks his heart. But see, folks, we make that decision. They, at that time, will make that decision. Hopefully all of you have made that decision today for Christ. That's the reason I mean, raise your hand really high if you really want to go to hell. Oh, I didn't see anybody. Wow, you know. I mean, I would like to ask that question to the world at large. You know, to get the whole world out and with a big microphone on top of the Empire State Building, you know. The winning lotto jackpot is. No, I would say, hey, how many of you really want to go to hell? You know, there'll be some smart Alex. Eh, I'm going to be there with my friends, man. It's like, dude. I used to be one of those people. And I've known people like that. Sad. But judgment is real. So how do we deal with that? Yeah, there's the answer. Yeah, surrender to Christ. You know, next week we're going to look at, we're going to beginning uh, in chapter 25. You know, we've been talking about this time of, of the end, and we're going to continue. 25 is not over yet. But I want to encourage you today. Yes, be sober. Sober-minded in the world that we live in. If you're a believer here today and there are things in your life that you know that aren't right and you're continuing to coddle them, you're continuing to make excuses for them, and uh, you just can't seem to get a grip on it, then pray with someone close to you. Pray and ask God to help. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. But I can tell you this, that the more you give your heart over to Christ, by his Holy Spirit, he's going to give you much grace and times of grace when you are tempted in sin and and tempted to go down a road that you know you ought not to. He's going to give you the grace to say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to choose to turn the other cheek. I'm going to turn the other way. And that's really what repentance means. The world doesn't like that word. They hate it when we say that. 
it's sort of like when you mention Donald Trump at a DNC convention. You know, they, they, they just they freak out. You mention repent and, and, and anywhere in the world. And like, Ooh, it's like, you remember the, and never mind. Nobody likes the word repent. But it's a word that we got to get really familiar with because without repentance, there is no salvation. You must repent. And even for those of us who are already God's children, we need to still turn from those things and, 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 and let these things be a warning to us. If you're a believer, you will not see those events that we've been talking about. But how are we to live? Are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you rather talk to somebody about sports than what's really, what really matters? We have to get our hearts right, church. I need to get my heart right. And I would ask you to pray this week and to say, Lord, if there's anything within me that is keeping me from allowing you to have your best in my life, then Lord, take it away. If there's anything that's stumbling me and getting in the way, Lord, I lay it at the altar and you consume it, God. And, and, and be honest. And you know something about the Lord? He knows your heart. And when you have an honest heart, even though you may stumble afterwards, listen, folks, he's not done with you. And he loves you. And even for the Christian, let's shape it up. Let's tighten the belt. Let's right the ship again. Let's follow our Savior, the captain, and the commander of our salvation, Jesus. Let's follow him again and say, I'm going to put away all these weights and all this stuff that's just weighing me down. It's like lead, lead ropes to my feet holding me down. Got to be done with it. Will you be done with it? As I say that to you, I say it to myself as well. Because believe me, before you guys got to hear this, I've got to deal with it. <laughs> Can we do this? Will you do this? Will you get your, your walk serious again? Walk with Christ. Get into the word again. Put priorities on learning the word of God and, 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 and being out in a world that needs to hear the message, the sweet message. It is a sweet message, especially after the teeth is talked about, the teeth of the gospel. I like to get that over as quickly as possible and then talk about the sweetness of God. Do you know that he loves you? He does, and he's so blessed that you are in his fold. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, but now, the shepherd of our souls, Jesus, has gathered us like a flock, hasn't he? And he continues to desire to do that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we come before you this, this morning, Lord, and we're so thankful for all that you've done and all that you're doing. 
And Lord, I pray for myself and my brothers and my sisters, Lord, that you would bring us in areas that we do need to repent, Lord. Bring us to repentance. And Lord, if we're doing good, praise the Lord, Lord. There's a lot of good things that you're doing in each of us, and yet there are still things in the darkness, things in the that are hiding out in the shadows that you want to deal with. And we're just not ready to have you touch those things yet. Lord, would you make this week that time that we would open the doors and say, Lord, you, if you shine your light on every area of my soul, my being, my home, the movies that I watch, the, the music that I listen to, the conversations that I have, the thoughts that go between these two ears, Lord, would you take all of those things and just... Uh, cleanse and heal me and my brothers and sisters. Lord, would you do it this week? And Lord, I know that your desire is to do it. Lord, thank you again for your love and for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Thank you for them, Lord. They are so sweet and so wonderful, God. And you see them white as snow. White as snow. White as snow. Though my sins were as scarlet, Lord, I know, Lord, I know that I'm clean and forgiven through the power of your blood, through the wonder of your love. Through faith in you, I know that I can be white as snow. Amen. God bless you.